This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Boom, we're on. Today's guest, we've got Dr. David Hamilton. First of all, David, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's so how, great to be here. Yeah, how are you? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Good. So, a man who had a PhD, or well, got a PhD, um, you worked in the pharmaceutical industry, one of yeah. the biggest in the world, yeah. and then you changed. You're a man who believes on the placebo effect, the law of attraction, kindness. You've wrote 10 books. I watched your documentary on Netflix called Heal, which was amazing, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, it's good to have you on. I have a lot of serious criminals on, which is a lot of big hitters for people, but this is the stuff I love to talk about. The mindset, the change, believing in yourself and that anything's possible. So you're doing amazing things. You're everywhere. We'll go right back to the start, though, where you where you grew up and how it all began. Oh, wow. Uh, I never get asked these kind of questions. This is, I love talking about <laughs> <laughs> my background. You know uh-huh. where I, I grew up in a wee village called Bank Knock. Where's this? Uh, it's in central Scotland. It's about it's about nine miles south of Stirling and uh, close to Falkirk. It's in that wee kind of the Fourth Valley type area. Yeah, maybe 18 miles from Glasgow, actually. And so I grew up there, tiny wee village, you know, tiny wee place as well. And it's it's close to a mining community. So there was mine. My dad grew up in a wee village called Croy just a few miles away, and that's a miners' community. Banknock had an open-cast coal mine. So it's very much a working-class little village. Mm-hmm. This expanded over the years, but when I was there in the 70s, when I was born and grew up there as a child in the 70s, my mum and dad still live there. It's very much a working-class little community. Uh-huh. So how was your upbringing then? Oh, great. You know, we were poor. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, even though we were poor, because my, my dad worked in the building trade. He was Initially, he was a a labourer then a demolisher and then he became a, a cement finisher expert but my dad for years was in and out of work because you know in Scotland the building mm. trade slows down in the winter so everybody all the newer casual workers get paid off you know November December so every Christmas my dad was out of work for a month 
and my mum was struggling, so she was always taking loans for the, you know, payday loans. The Provident guy mm -hmm. from the Provident yeah. used to come every Thursday. Tony, uh -huh. the collector. Uh -huh. <laughs> so That's when up. you locked the door and shut uh, the blinds. But he was a lovely guy, and he used to come with a lined book, and it was uh, Jeanette Hamilton. My mum has paid like a pound or five pound, and so we we were poor. But I never seemed to want for anything because my mum and dad always did the best they could, hmm. uh, and you know. I, I had great upbringing with my three sisters. I'll have three sisters, and we were all pals and stuff. So I, even though we were poor, I don't really feel I, I wanted anything because I, I, I was happy in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. So how did you get into the pharmaceutical industry? Um, kind of roundabout kind of way. Well, I, I did a, I did a degree at university. Mm -hmm. I never ever imagined going to university. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I was the second person in the entire village of Banknock <laughs> who had ever gone on to higher education. And it was only because it wasn't the thing, it wasn't the thing that people did in our, in Banknock, in mm -hmm. our wee village, especially back when I was growing up. And I remember my chemistry teacher, Mr. Tracy, he took me aside after my, my hires and he said, have you ever thought of going to university? And I went, oh, no, I God, my mum and dad couldn't afford that. And I, I honestly, this was like 86, 87, 86 maybe. And I honestly thought that there was only two universities in Britain and that was Oxford and Cambridge. Huh. And I thought maybe I thought there was a few others that I'd seen in university challenge and i had this perception <laughs> that you had to be really clever because uh -huh. i'd seen oxford and cambridge on the boat yeah, race yeah, yeah. and i thought you had to be really really massively intelligent or really wealthy or how or be very well spoken and that and all three of those things isn't what i knew uh -huh. and i just it seemed so above me and mr tracy sat me down and he said oh no you can go to university you're really good at chemistry and here's how it works you get a grant to not you used to get a grant and that would pay you for the, uh -huh. the year kind of thing and i suddenly I did chemistry only because it was Mr. Tracy, my chemistry teacher, who explained it all to me. Uh, planted the seeds. Yeah, for you. and other I, I might have gone and done maths, but because mm -hmm. maths I was slightly better at. But I did chemistry because Mr. Tracy made it sound so exciting, and, mm -hmm. and all the things that you could do if you were a chemist, you could even go into medicine and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I went to university and, and hit the ground running. Did really, really well. Ended up doing a PhD and what's called synthetic organic chemistry, mm -hmm. which is like Lego. But instead of taking instead of taking Lego bricks of different shapes and sizes and colours to assemble a variety of shapes, uh -huh. an organic chemist takes atoms instead of Lego bricks, mm -hmm. but atoms are our Lego bricks and you get like a carbons and hydrogens and nitrogens and oxygens. But the principle of assembling a variety of shapes is the same. Mm -hmm. And the variety of shapes is pharmaceutical drugs. And that's why I ended up in the pharmaceutical industry. So what kind of Drugs were you making for what, for patients uh, or cardiovascular mostly and also cancer? Right. Yeah. So literally, you're you're assembling different shapes uh -huh. that we've already found through a previous research step uh -huh. that maybe show a good ability to, you know, change the activity something inside the arteries mm -hmm. or change something around the the pathology of cancer. Right. How long did you do that for? Four years. And then the light bulb moment for yeah. the pharmaceutical industry to then the placebo effect. So yeah. where did that, snow? where did that well, drop? Well, do you know, after my youngest of my three sisters was born in 76, my mum had postnatal depression and it wasn't understood very well there. You know, the psychiatrist said, give yourself a shake. This was 1976. And that's not how you treat someone with postnatal depression. But my mum ended up with this, this 
idea that she's not a good mum or she's not a strong person because she just assume everyone must feel this way but the they must just get through it because my mum it wasn't explained to her properly she didn't it wasn't understood so my mum thought I'm just not a strong person now we know postnatal depression is very it's not it's wet, much better understood but my mum ended up depressed going through that depression because it wasn't treated very well and I found a book in the school library as daft as it might sound I was my first week at high school I think I was 11 years old a book fell off the shelf The Magic Power of Your Mind I thought wow I bet I can help my mum so I just took it. I didn't know you're supposed to join a library. <laughs> you know, get a wee yellow card, get it stamped. I just uh, put it in my bag. Keith. We've, still, <laughs> we've still got it. <laughs> you know, it was 38 years ago, 37 mm -hmm. years ago. Anyway, it really helped my mum. Now, it didn't cure depression in a day, but it taught her strategies about positive thinking and it taught her about uh, affirmations and belief and the power of the mind and meditation so my mum put all these things into practice and she used to do pump her fist with positive affirmations. So I grew up in that environment. My mum and I often talking about the power of the mind and because my mum was so excited about the power of the mind because it had worked for her mm -hmm. and she was so passionate about it, it, it really, it was contagious. Mm -hmm. And so all the way, even through my PhD, I was reading books on the power of positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale, one of the first books I ever read actually and it was a positive thinking book and... So when I went into the pharmaceutical industry, although I loved the science of organic chemistry building drugs, I was so drawn to the placebo effect because that was a demonstration of the fact that something in someone's mind was having a physical effect in the brain, but also a physical effect in the body. And I used to ask my colleagues and they didn't understand it. They would just say, oh, it's just a placebo effect. But they didn't understand because they hadn't really thought and realised that a mind, something in the mind wasn't just making people think they feel better, which is what my colleague said, oh, they're not getting better, they just think they're getting better, but that was completely wrong. There's actually a physical change in the brain and wow. a physical change in the body. Once I really took that to heart and realised there's something really powerful here and nobody knows about this, so I'm going to resign. And I had this idea that I'm going to write a book and I'm going to go out and teach people how they can harness their mind and emotions and even positive feelings like love and compassion and kindness and have a beneficial health-giving effect. And wow. so I, it was so strong in me that I just decided, I was at a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power yeah, of Within yeah, yeah. weekend and he got us to do this visualisation where he said, now, think of a time in your life when something happened that if it didn't happen, your life would have gone in a different direction. And I could think of a couple of things. He said, now, make a decision that will change your life. And I just decided I'm leaving my job. Yeah. And I literally resigned the next day back at work. That takes a lot of bottle, especially in that industry. If people are reading from textbooks and trying to find cures from pharmaceutical drugs to help patients, and you're kind of going against that with saying, you can basically change your mind, change the chemistry in your body. The brain only repeats what it knows. Yeah. So how were you treated then when you were saying to people about this placebo effect if they didn't quite understand it? Did they think you were going crazy? Or? It, but I, all of those things, yeah. actually, I'd say my, my closest friends were so supportive because it wasn't, I didn't tell them really the full truth. I, I told everyone that I was really going over, I was really going into teaching personal development. But what I really meant is a big part of that personal development was mind and emotions mm -hmm. and how they affect the body. I just didn't say that to everyone because I was aware that people would think I was a bit daft. Mm -hmm. But then my close friends did know that that was my interest and they didn't 
disagree with me, but I think a few, there was murmurs throughout the company and I knew a few people must have thought I'd lost my marbles, to use uh, their language. I think mm -hmm. one person said, you've lost your marbles, mm -hmm. kind of thing. And only because they didn't understand. And I think some people also, yeah. have, I think many people have a passion in life, but don't have the courage to follow yeah. it. And, and I say some of the people maybe that were resistant to that, it was because it pressed their buttons because they wanted mm -hmm. to follow the dream. Yeah and just didn't have the courage. It wasn't that they didn't believe what I was doing. It's yeah. just, it, it presses your button sometimes. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong in life. They've got great ideas, they've got great visions, but as soon as they share it with someone else who doesn't understand that, then they reflect their fears on it, and then yeah. it's very off-putting. So to create ideas and go, do you know what, I'm sticking to my guns, and I'm going to stick to it. So the placebo effect, David, can you explain this to for people then who don't quite understand it? Yeah, so the placebo effect is that effect, that thing that happens when you believe that a, something is a drug, something will help you. So the placebo actually comes from the Latin for I shall please. So a, you can, a placebo could be a, you know, a cup of water. If you'd, for example, told me, let's say I had a really sore head. Let's say I had a really sore head and you said, oh, I've dissolved some aspirin or paracetamol or some other dissolvable painkiller in that water and it's so good it just tastes like water and I really believed you because maybe you're a doctor right and you said that to me I'm going oh thank you very much and I go and my headache starts to go away so the placebo effect is the fact that my headache goes away but there was just water in there and I just believed something about I believed something about that water and trick my headache went away trick to mind and what but what actually happens the reason why the pain goes away is because my belief generates biochemistry and the biochemistry that's generated in my brain is exactly what's required to deliver to me the thing that I expect. So I'm expecting a reduction in pain. So it's like my brain says, okay, you're expecting a reduction in pain. How do we do that? Well, we do that by producing our own painkillers. So the brain now produces its own painkillers. They're called endogenous opiates, like opiates like mm -hmm. morphine and stuff. Endogenous opiates means your own version. And so the brain produces its own painkillers, i.e. endogenous opiates, to give you that reduction in pain because that's what you believe is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's how the placebo effect in large part actually works. Do you believe the brain can cure anything? Uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that only because you have certain true genetic disorders. I say mm -hmm. the, your mind can generate huge positive effects, uh, whether it can actually whether the power of consciousness let's let's mm -hmm. even take that a step further can cure anything i don't think we understand that well enough i have my personal beliefs about the nature of reality but generally from what we understand uh, in science is that even in the placebo effect there seems to be you know not i i, I don't like the term limits i don't think there's any real limits limitless. everything's limitless i think ever, I everything's limitless but i think what we understand in science so far takes you so far you know the so your, your belief can have a powerful effect but you can strengthen your belief and you can use visualization techniques to dig even deeper but i, I wouldn't ever like to offend anyone uh -huh. by saying that i think the the mind can cure anything because that's if if i was in such a position and someone said that to me i'd say well i've tried everything it doesn't kind of work and and so i, I think there are true real genetic disorders, even someone visualizing for cancer, for example, it might help some people, but most people require uh, some therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, 
as well as using visualisation. So I always say to people, if you're using your mind, it's not instead of medical advice, it's in addition to. And, you know, clinical studies show, for example, if someone's taking medication like chemotherapy for radiotherapy for cancer, but in addition, they visualise their immune system as well, then it enhances the treatment and the, the immune system actually becomes far more active through the visualization. But if you ask someone just to visualize their immune system instead of taking any medication or lifestyle change, I think on the whole that isn't very clever because most, peop most people don't, we don't have the knowledge yet. No. I think it's possible that consciousness can have a massively powerful effect. I think the point I'm trying to make is we don't understand how to do it yet. Yeah. I think that's the point. I, 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 want, us to, I want us to understand that we're limit, limitless, yeah. but I just think we don't know how to do it yet. So I, I try to stay away from saying that the mind can cure anything because yeah. at, at the it's moment- a big statement. At the moment, yeah. At the moment, we don't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, we just don't. So yeah. I always- I always say, use your mind in addition to mm -hmm. whatever else you're doing, not instead of, because I just think we don't know how to do it yet. Yeah. Am I going to, I've been studying the brain for so long and we'll keep studying it as, as something that has not really been cemented down, how to understand it, because our thoughts can make us sick, but the good thing is they can also make us better. Absolutely. Yeah. So for you then, what do you think, why do you think like depression and suicide's on the rise just now? Oof, great question. Uh, I think there's a number of a number of factors. Uh, I I think people get a bit disenfranchised with with the world. I think people feel a lot of people feel more and more powerless. Mm. You know, social media is good for some people, but it's not so good for others. One of the things I was looking through for one of my books, I wrote a book called "I Heart Me," all about self-esteem. Uh, and that, in one sense, I found research showing an increase in depression and suicide rates around in teenagers. But some of that was connected to a feeling that everyone else's profile was better than theirs, and you needed to get more likes. And we 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 start looking at who we actually are and start looking for comparing ourselves to other people and, and trying to artificially inflate ourselves and having a profile that isn't really who we actually are. And so I think there was a definitely a connection between self-esteem, obviously self-esteem and, you know, depression, suicide, but there was also a connection with why that self-esteem issue arose in the first place. And some of it for many teenagers, especially was, was linked to their online persona and trying to be better mm -hmm. so that everyone could see them as something else and so one of the things i've always tried to do is say to people you're enough just as you are yeah but again it's try to get people to believe that if you're getting told you're not good enough if you've been abused mentally physically when you're younger you can be stuck in that rut but know, you can't break the chain you can break the chain the brain is like a sponge should we be ch changing the school curriculum how do you spell that say that again Curri curriculum. Curriculum. curriculum 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 do you think we should be changing more about the mindset love compassion absolutely. honesty money management absolutely yoga techniques breathing absolutely. techniques because we're learning things that are in the past also and some of these things are great but the majority of things you learn in primary school or secondary you don't use in the workplace i wish i had learned self-management mm -hmm. tools and you know self-management meaning the ability to understand your own state and change your state you know maybe this is what how I'm feeling. Is there, is there a tool that I can do to change how I feel? I'd love to have learned meditation, for example, as a kid. I've been into quite a number of schools now, primary schools and high schools, talking to kids about kindness. Mm -hmm. 
And I talk about the five side effects of kindness. You know, how kindness makes us happier. It, it's good for the heart, slows aging, it, it improves relationships. It's also contagious. It has a, a ripple effect. It, one thing leads to another. One, a small act of kindness can affect, can ripple out and affect thousands of people. Uh, and kids are so interested. I mean, they literally love that stuff. And the te it's the teachers that want me to come in. And who, in fact, I recently spoke to 156 formers and the teacher, the, the head of that section wants me to come back now and talk to all of the years and some of the parents because they see learning about kindness and compassion and, and love and generosity of spirit as something fundamental to what children should learn. Because if you think, think about it, children are... are are going to be the leaders of the next generation. So if we can, uh, through education, instill in them how important it is to be to have an attitude of kindness. And I'm talking not just about doing acts of kindness, but having an attitude of kindness where the the attitude of the desire to help people to be nice is something that infiltr infiltrates everything that you do. It's just your kind of way. It's how you think about people. It's how you speak to people. And think about the different types of decisions that might be made in governments and in, lead in corporate uh, leadership situations if all everyone had learned about these principles of kindness and compassion at an early age. But do you think that's why these things are in place so people can't really think for themselves? In school, you use, is it a left-side part of your brain? which yeah, is your, predominantly. Your, your memorisation, your rights, your creativity and your individuality. For me, kids at school, I worry for the generation. I've got two kids, the next generation. I've got two kids myself. And I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. People who go to schools are there's more kids with iPhones, designer clothes. They're kind of forgetting the real purpose in life, and it's hard because I'm still learning, you're still learning, and not necessarily what we are saying is right. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But it just feels right. So there was a study. I watched one of your videos. Was, was that a six-week study where people showed acts of kindness? Yep. Can you explain that also? Yeah. So it, it was in one study. Two groups of people. Okay. And one group were asked just to be normal. These are what you call a control study. And the other group were asked once a, one day a week. So let's say you picked a Friday, for example. So you select one day a week. And on that day, you've got to do five acts of kindness between the time you're waking up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night. And they have to do that every, that every Friday for six weeks. And they found at the end of the study that those people had actually grown in happiness having done the kindness and they were significantly happier than the people who were just leading their lives as normal. There's other variations in the study where you don't just do a one act, five acts of kindness on one day, but you spread them out over the week. But all of every version of that study, there's lots of versions of it where scientists 
try different things, but every version comparing being kind versus normal, just control group, as you, as you say, every single study shows a net increase in people's well overall happiness and well-being. So why is everybody not jumping on this? Why are they not? Why is this not getting shouted from the rooftops? Not enough people know about it. You know, it's one of the. It's part of my work. My my one of my real passions is to educate people about the the benefits and you know really all the science of kindness. And the reason why I do the science is it's, it brings something new to the conversation. I find a lot of people, you just read a wee book about kindness and many people think, oh, I already know about kindness. So I bring something else to the conversation. Here's what happens to your heart. Here's what happens to your arteries. Mm -hmm. I mean, being kind because of how it makes you feel softens, releases the tension in the walls of your arteries, reduces blood pressure. You know, people don't know that. And kindness generates a hormone in the bloodstream that acts in the skin and helps to slow down the aging process of skin cells and it's the exact opposite to what happens when we're under chronic stress we know chronic stress ages us but there is a the body has a natural opposite a uh, process mm -hmm. that gets switched on when you're being kind because of how it makes you feel and it's the exact opposite so the aging process of cells slow down so i bring all this new to the conversation mm -hmm. to get people immersed in the, the idea and the notion of kindness, then I throw in things that, oh, by the way, kindness is the right thing to do. Look at the ripple effect, how you can change people's lives. So if you look at my social media profile, I'm pushing kindness all the time. Every mm -hmm. other, more, I'd say maybe two thirds of all my posts have mm -hmm. something to do with kindness. Messages and, in them. And even though I, I could, I've written 10 books, mm -hmm. I, I have tracked my stats and I could easily be always pushing some of the stuff from my other books, which would get far more likes and it would get far more reach. But, and I even did a survey and 90% of people wanted to hear about the mind-body connection. So I still put that in with self-esteem and stuff. But even though I know it doesn't sell as well, mm -hmm. I still keep pushing the yeah. kindness because it, to me it feels more important and more valuable. Because it's free. And it's, it's and free. It's and even though it doesn't raise my profile, yeah. it doesn't sell my books very well. My kindness books sell technically less than my other books, mm -hmm. but I still keep pushing it because I think it's so important. And I think there's not enough people shouting it from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. Because it feels right for you. It's crazy that... Our bodies are the most expensive piece of machinery on this planet. You are what you eat, you are what you speak. We'll clean our cars, we'll clean our house, we'll polish our shoes, but yet we'll go and smoke, take drugs, eat shit, including myself, we've done it for many years. It's difficult to understand that because it's mm. Dr. Amoto. I did my I did a oh, Reiki yeah. course. I was going through a change. I'm a boy from a rough area, so mm. I was going through a, a massive change. I didn't mm. know what the fuck was happening, David. Yeah. Um end up reading a lot of books and end up doing a Reiki course, end up becoming a Reiki master. I'm sitting in I a loving well. room. I'm, sitting, a Reiki, I'm, a Reiki I'm sitting in a loving room full of women and we're all giving each other energy and I'm uh, looking around and I'm going, what the fuck am I doing? I I, I'm losing my shit. But the, the, she showed me a video. I went to a seminar, a man called Dr. Amoto. Yeah. Dr. Amoto used to take photos of water, crystals, and he used to speak to the water. Now this sounds crazy, but Google it and check it out. He spoke, spoke to the water, beautiful words, I love you, you are beautiful. He took photos of it. He also did it with crystals and water that he froze and spoke bad to it. The ones who spoke nice to was like beautiful snowflakes, crystals, and the one he spoke bad to was like red and yellow yeah. and all bad signs. I think there's a jam jar challenge you can do also. Yeah. You get two jam jars, fill each jam jar with rice, say I love you to one for yeah. 30 days and I hate you to one for 30 days. After the 30 days, the one you say I love you to is still pure white and the one you say I hate you 
is all black, blue and mouldy. So you are what you speak. And if you're speaking like shit, you're going to feel like shit. Aye. Do you know what I mean? It's... I, t- I know I know about that research very well. Cause I, I did Reiki as well, actually. Uh-huh. I had a similar experience. I was the only guy. This, <laughs> this is, I think I did my Reiki training, became a Reiki master in 2001. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but it was great. But that's when I also became familiar. I think it was my Reiki master at the time who told me about Emoto's work. Mm-hmm. And I decided as a scientist, I wasn't long out of the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to replicate his research. But I didn't have the microscopy techniques. It's a technique called dark field microscopy mm-hmm. that allows you to photograph like ice crystals, for example, and you can put a light through them so that you can photograph them in the dark. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the equipment. So I decided to do the exact same thing but instead I would use biology. So I took 3,000 seeds of cress, 3,000 seeds, and I put it into, into pots of 50. So I had 60 pots of counted out, hand-counted 50 cress seeds. And then I took some water and I took cups like this, paper cups. Mm-hmm. And in one paper cup I wrote love and one cup paper cup I wrote fear. One cup, cup I wrote happy, one cup I wrote sad. Another cup, I took rose quartz, so ground quartz, and I ground, I squat, ground it up in a wheat powder, and I taped it to the underside of the, not in the water, but the underside of it. Then every day, I filled each cup with water, so now the cup was was in a cup. Now the water was in a cup that had love, uh-huh. fear, happy, sad. And then I took a syringe and I took exactly one milliliter. This was me doing science, exactly one milliliter, and I injected the one milliliter into all of the 60 pots. And I did that and I covered them. And every day for seven days, I did exactly the same. So a row of pots would get love water. Mm -hmm. A row of pots would get fear water. A row of pots would get happy water. A row would get sad water. And a row of pots would get water infused by the energy of, of, say, the energy of the magnetic field of rose quartz. Anyway, amazingly, when I measured them at the end of the week, I literally measured them with a pair of tweezers, stretching them on a ruler. And you could see a visible difference, but I measured 3,000 seeds mm-hmm. of Chris. That's eight hours of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> that was a long day. Mm-hmm. But get this, the when you looked at them and measured them all out, the seeds that had been watered with happy water were significantly taller, sprouts much taller than the seeds that had been watered with sad water. The seeds that had been watered with happy water, it, sorry, love was much bigger than fear. The the seeds that had been watered with happy water were much taller than the seeds watered with sad water. Mm-hmm. So love was stronger than fear. Happy was stronger than sad. And rose quartz was stronger than anything at all. Mm-hmm. Rose quartz combined with positive emotion, the seeds were significantly mm-hmm. Bigger. It just goes to show, though, I believe everything's... We're, we're biology. Yeah, everything's frequencies and energies, yeah. I believe that. Again, I, I spoke about this months ago, um, about the piano. Some people physically played it and some people mentally played that. Can you explain that also? Because I think when I explained that, I probably butchered that a bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a study at, at Harvard. It was done by a professor called Alvaro Pascal Leon, very famous neurologist. Mm-hmm. They got a group of volunteers to sit in front of a piano and play a sequence of five notes, each of the five fingers, of plunk, 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 up and down a scale for two hours on five consecutive days. That's quite tiring, so you don't really just go plunk, plunk, plunk. You go, you plunk for a minute, you rest for a couple of minutes, you plunk, rest. But for a period of two hours, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, had the brain scanned every day, and they focused in on the region of the brain connected to the finger muscles, and they found that that region grew like a muscle. So by the Friday, it was 30 to 40 times bigger 
than it had been on the Monday. So five days of the phenomenon we now know is called neuroplasticity. So the brain changes. But a, sep a second group of people, instead of sitting in front of a piano playing the notes with the fingers, they sat with their hands flat on a table, closed their eyes and imagined they were doing that. It's called kinesthetic imagery. And what that means is you're imagining the feelings of actually moving. So hands flat on the table, close their eyes, and just imagined to the best of their ability that they were going plunk, 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 plunk. Again, for two hours and five consecutive days. They also had their brain scanned every day. And amazingly, by the fifth day, their brain had also grown in that region by 30 to 40 times. And if you hold the brain scans side by side, you cannot tell the difference between the group who'd physically played the notes with their fingers and the group who'd played the notes with their mind. It was oh. exactly the same. That's crazy. They say we have, is it 60,000 thoughts a day? Yeah, something or like more. That, yeah. So for people who are in the struggle, for people who's got addiction issues, for people who's got anxiety or depression, what would advice or tools or techniques for would you give them for to maybe change and yeah. to change the neural pathways and get a better understanding that you're the one who's creating the thoughts, but you're also the one who can fucking change them. Yeah, I think what gives a what I've noticed gives a lot of people a sense of hope is just understanding that wee bit of science that the brain is rewiring all the time. Sometimes, if we if we see if we know that there can be light at the end of the tunnel, like if you know, for example, you can maybe rewire a pattern in two or three weeks, or some some studies suggest a wee bit longer than that. If you know that you can do that and you've you've looked at some of the, the research and you think, my God, if I can keep this up for two or three weeks, I may actually be physically changing the wiring in my brain. And I think that that kind of idea gives people hope because you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a case of someone just saying, try this and we all know what it's like to break an addiction. But if you know that in a short space of time, relatively short space of time, you can actually rewire the brain. And when it begins to rewire, the cravings will begin to disappear. And so I find sometimes explaining just that goes a long way to helping people break patterns, break addictions, just knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel. If I do it for this period of time, even if it's just two or three weeks, it is possible I can actually rewire my brain. Yeah, they say it takes 21 days to break a habit, yeah. 21 days to create a new one. There's all different studies and theories. Yeah. For me, when I was going through the change, I wrote it down, no drink, no drugs, no gambling, stuck it in the wall, and every day I would, I would write 10 affirmations and repeat them for 10 days, and it worked. Fantastic. It seemed to, well, yeah, yeah. it's clearly worked. Yeah, yeah. But for people who don't believe it, give it a go. Write down two things you love about yourself or you're happy with or that you want to change. Repeat it. If constantly repeat it, is it neurons that fire and, it, fire and wire, wire together? together yeah. So if you do it consistently, then it will create that pattern. Yeah, and what you actually did, you added something really vital onto that. You created a different state. You know, mm. so, sorry me saying light at the end of the tunnel, but what you actually did is you you did something else as well as believing you can break this habit. You actually created a different state by writing down 10 things every day, by focusing on that. Mm -hmm. so, at, so as your brain's rewiring, it's rewiring in a positive way because of the state, the, the emotional state and the psychological state you're creating. So you're wiring your emotional state and your determination and your gratitude you're wiring that and so when that when the habit changes after 21 days it's changed to something else and you've actually decided what that something else was which is yeah. gratitude positivity mm -hmm. all these kind of things because we still get i still get negative thoughts oh, every day do you know so what i mean I. I still feel it fucking cracking up i'm going to be honest this isn't just sitting in mountains and jumping in waterfalls and meditation it's and life. breathing it's the struggle's real yeah absolutely. but i can handle it 
more maturely, I think. Don't get me wrong, I, I have my moments and I'll, I'll, I will get hit of depression for maybe a day or two, but I can't be asked leaving the house. But then I go, I don't want to leave my legacy like this. I need to get up and fight against that. You're, you're very big against for um, the law of attraction. Um, you are what you think. Like attracts like. How did strong did that belief start to come for you when you started to go, this is working? Uh, I've I've always had a belief ever since I was a child that that which you are, your being, isn't inside your head. Maybe it was intuitive. I, from as young as I can remember, maybe I was about 12 or 13 when I started to really formalise it, I had this strong feeling that you know, what you see when you look in the mirror is only a tiny part of you. And this might sound daft for like, let's say, a 12-year-old, but I had this belief that we're all interconnected. And even though you and I are sitting opposite a table, if you were, if there was some kind of scanner that could show my consciousness and your consciousness, what you would actually see is two lights. And But those lights wouldn't be one over there, one over there. There'd be a focus over here and a focus over there, but there'd be a big connection and... It, there be a big connectedness between us at the moment. And then everyone else that you know in your life, there's also a connectedness. So what you get is you have focal points of consciousness, but it's like strands that interconnect everyone and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's how I intuitively saw the world when I was a child. And, and my intuition about it hasn't changed at all now. It's just got stronger. And I've had, you know, I've been looking for the science, bits of science that might validate and explain some of that. So I think when you have a hope or a dream, or an, a desire, an affirmation, and you start to imagine it intensely and keep thinking about it, keep thinking about it, what you're actually doing is you're sending off a pulse like a radio broadcast that said, this is what I would like, please. And then people who can help you, who might be able to play a role in that, through this connected, as you call it, a web, mm -hmm. uh, and through this connectedness, people start gravitating towards you, coming into your life, who have the answers or the solutions or the ability or who have some role to play in helping you to, to manifest the exact thing that you're imagining. And the key to making it work is just like you talked about the brain. You can only change the brain through consistency. So similarly, when we consistently put it out there, this is my hope, this is my dream, this is what I'm imagining and affirming, through this connectedness, we're pulling things, we're attracting things, people and situations to us mm. which are in harmony with the state of our own consciousness, yeah. with the thoughts that you're thinking. Yeah, everything's, I believe everything's frequencies. When I was drinking, taking drugs, gambling, my whole surroundings was the people who were doing the exact same. Mm. So when I stopped that, it become, don't get me wrong, it is a lonely journey, David. You probably tend to see that yourself. We're constantly searching. But for me, when I became a better person, I started more like-minded people also who kind of understood the journey. I didn't really feel alone then. But because the gut-mind connection also, the guts, uh, is this true? The gut's made the same material as the brain? In many ways, the, the gut has the gut has a vast amount of neurons. Mm. So it's almost like your gut has a brain. Yeah, your second brain. Your second brain, yeah. And it plays a... I think we're only just beginning to understand in science the importance of gut health for your... Mm your clarity of mind, your health of your mind and your brain and also your immune system and all these Have you ever heard of a thing called sun gazing? I've heard of it. I, so, I don't know what it is. So sun gazing is looking directly at the sun. So for people watching this might sound crazy. So everything that's grown from this earth, fruit, veg, trees, plants, all the, all the good stuff. So the stuff that we eat from the earth to say is most important for us, which is the sun's reserves. 
So if you cut that out, there's, there was a guy who I watched in India, it was on for over an hour, powerful stuff. I, I don't even know what it's called, but I'll put it in the bio. So sun gazing is looking directly at the sun. It's our main frequency. The reason why cancer rates so high in Scotland is because not enough vitamin D. So the sun, if you look at the sun, an hour before sunset or sunrise, you can start off 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. If you look directly at the sun, they say it gives you your proper nutrition and aligns everything back in your body mm -hmm. and it cures you of all disease. It's powerful, powerful mm. stuff. Sun gazing. Yeah, so, I'd, he I'd heard of it, but I wasn't yeah, familiar with it. And it sounds it crazy for people, but look it up, check it out, uh, Google it. Your YouTube sun gazing, it's... Um, you know, in, in a sense, uh, plants mm -hmm. are really the sun's energy just being transformed chemically. I mean, it's this, the, the energy, the frequency of UV light from the sun. Uh, so that sunlight from the sun it causes a uh, different processes to occur in plants mm. and what the plants are really doing is they're capturing sunlight so as a plant is growing the plant is essentially capturing sunlight so when you're eating a plant this is what one maybe one of the spiritual reasons why as well as affecting the gut and the brain a whole foods plant-based diet which is getting all of your nutrients from from plants ultimately energetically you're eating light <laughs> you're eating the sun so sun you're gazing is the sun. what you're doing is cutting that off and getting directly from the sun they say you go blind looking at the sun. Listen, I'm not a doctor, but it's there's no studies to say that anybody's ever went blind. That's why they tell you to look at it. I never sunset or sunrise when it, the rays isn't as strong. It's powerful stuff. Mm. So when you wrote your first book, how did that come about also? Uh, well, it was a dream actually when I left the pharmaceutical industry. I, I really, I knew as part of my journey going out and speaking that I wanted to be a writer. And it's funny because I failed my English at school. Mm -hmm. And if anyone had said to me when I hated English, I hated it. Mm -hmm. I loved chemistry. I loved maths. I loved the, the technical stuff. I hated it. Oh my God, I hated mm -hmm. English. It was, I found it so boring. And uh, I passed it my second time. I had a, 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 a teacher who really helped me a lot when I resat the, the English, a guy called Mr. McCall. And uh, if anyone had said to me, oh, by the way, you'll write for a living, you'll be a writer, I'd have laughed. I went, oh, oh, oh mm. absolutely no chance. But yet, what changed in my mind was realising that writing is really just a vehicle. It's just a way that I can express what mm. I'm teaching. And so my writing style is very much, in some ways, it reflects my speaking style. So my, my writing, as I construct a book, what I'm actually doing is I'm teaching so maybe there's a, a proper way to write books mm -hmm. where you build certain ways, but I don't write books in that way. I write books when I, I'm actually teaching because I want people to understand the power of these techniques mm -hmm. and, and principles. So the first book was something I, I wanted to do. I tried, I stopped and started umpteen times and threw it away because I really didn't know how to write and I didn't really know what I was writing about. And then I'd run a charity, I'd set up a charity with some friends called Spirit Aid Foundation, which is still thriving under David Heyman, the actor. Where can people look at, get this? Uh, well, spiritaid.org.uk, mm -hmm. I think, is the site. David Heyman Where and can I, people buy your books also, David? Oh, Amazon. Amazon. Uh, Waterstones, Bookshop, mm -hmm. any, really any, book, mm -hmm. any place where books are sold. And I decided, I, we, I, we'd finished a big charity project, and I decided, you know, I'm going to start writing now. I've put it off. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. For a few years, because I didn't really know how to write. A wee bit of fear there as well. Oh, absolutely. I was pushing myself away, really, because mm. I didn't know how to do it. And I just mm -hmm. decided, you know what? I went bankrupt, right? Mm -hmm. So I ran the charity. It got really big. It grew really quick. And I was absolutely broke. David Heyman, it was absolutely broke. And a few of us founders of it had put all of our resources into it. We ended up, all of us broke. And I needed to leave and get it, get work. So I took a job as a, a lecturer. I taught chemistry for a year and, and ecology, a wee bit of maths. Uh, and I tutored at Glasgow University in the adult education department for a year. And during that time, I, I started researching and writing my first books. I spent months in Glasgow University Library, actually, just looking through medical journals and, and other stuff and just building a picture of the science that I wanted to talk about in my first book. It's called It's the Thought That Counts. And I covered such a broad subject from you know, not only the mind-body connection, but evidence for prayer and evidence for hands-on healing and evidence for vibrational medicine and evidence for consciousness. I pulled it all together. And, and once I had all the information, I had no idea how to write. I just started writing and it took me two years. You know, I, I just wrote it all in one continual chapter. And I put it all in the, all the pages on the ground and I, I said, well, that goes with that and that goes with that. And I moved it all together and, and assembled the book into what seemed to be chapters. And I learned how to write. I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people want to write a book, but they don't because they don't know how to. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, just start and you'll, there's no right way to write a book. There's mm -hmm. just your way. It's probably the trigger. Just, put, just start and, yeah. and see what happens. And, and I figured it out and learned how to write. And my first book, when I gave birth to it, I still call it my baby. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to every publisher in the UK in self-help, but all of them said no. Some of them are really complimentary. It just didn't work for them at this time. So I self-published it. And then a year later, one of the publishers, Hay House, who'd said no the first time, literally took the hand off me. Mm -hmm. Please, we'll take this this book. And, and, and it's something I always say to people, if a publisher rejects you or someone rejects you in life, it doesn't really reflect who you are or the quality of what oh. you're doing. Sometimes it's just timing. It's just an yeah. opinion. It's just, like, pub during that time, my publisher had decided that one of the things they want to do is have more books from from a qualified people like doctors and scientists. And so they just decided in that time from rejecting me the first time to signing me up the second time. During that time, they decided we want scientists and doctors yeah. And so it wasn't that they didn't like the book first time, it just didn't fit for them. Yeah, but rejection is scary. I took it hard. Because, yeah, it's heartbreaking. You're not good enough. <coughs> you can't do it. That's why 99% of people fail, Dave, is because the rejection after two and three attempts. Consistency's key. You proved it. Consistency, keep chipping away, and you eventually got the break. I used to listen to a lot of Les Brown back in the day, and he used to say all the time, people's opinion of you does not have to be your reality. 
99% of success is failure and the only Absolutely. person who can fail is yourself. Yeah. So the documentary, Heal, brilliant by the way. Oh, Absolutely geez. excellent. Um, you appear in it a few times. So how did that come about also? Uh, well, the, the director and producer, they'd almost finished it. They'd been filming for, for months, actually, Kelly Noonan, uh, the director, and uh, and they'd been filming for ages and just trying to assemble the story and the narrative. And, and I think they were looking for something, you know, just looking for a few extra little cross the T's, dot the I's kind of thing. And one of the other authors or, or other people in the film had mentioned me and they, they looked me up online and thought, wow, exactly what we need. So they gave me a phone and, you know, a week later I was in New York City and we were sit, we were filming in Central Park and we were filming in this great big uh, hotel uh, room and we just, you know, it went really, really well. They asked me all the, the relevant questions that needed, I think needed to fill the little gaps that were mm. missing in the film. And, and you never know when you're in a documentary, when you get filmed, if you'll actually make the final cut. I remember yeah. when it first came out, and I was like, I didn't want to watch it. I was like, <laughs> you know, I know it. my interview was an hour and a, an hour long and then another 45 minutes maybe in Central Park yeah. afterwards. And I thought they might not use anything. I was mm. I was pleasantly surprised to see, mm. I think I'm in it seven times. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm still in it. Yeah, but that's brilliant. And plus it raises your profile. And especially if you're trying to promote kindness, love, compassion, yeah. other people then start to... It's crazy because if we see someone on the TV, then we start giving them a bit more rec recognition which is weird. Do you know, know what I mean? So your, pro your profile would rise it, and that's it, all part of the process. It, it did. My, some of my social media following, my Instagram following literally doubled within mm -hmm. a few months. Mm -hmm. You know, just when he came into Netflix anyway. Yeah, because Joe Dispenser's on it. I watch yeah. a lot of Joe's stuff as well. And Joe's a lovely guy. Yeah, yeah, and he was in a bad car accident. I think he used mm -hmm. to do like Iron Man. And he, with the power of the mind... Put his spine back in place yeah, yeah. just by visualizing it every day. And every he says it was like uh, hitting the golf ball sweet, it just clicked back in. Mm. And again, the science is there to prove it. The mind, believe in yourself, I know. affirmations, consistency, write them down. Don't just again, we spoke earlier before the cameras were on. It's as much as we can preach and promote, it's try to live it yourself because I have my down days. Mm. What's your day, day like on a daily basis? What's your schedule like for when you wake up in the morning? It, it varies the first thing I do actually after my, my shower is I meditate how long for? it varies it depends how much I've, I've got on you know I always make time for it but probably at the very least 15 minutes but sometimes half an hour mm -hmm. and if I do only 15 minutes I will commit to doing another maybe 2 or 3 5 minutes so sometimes uh, I'll sit at my computer and I'll just close my eyes and I'll meditate for 5 minutes uh, during the day to try to make up half an hour a day so yeah. I, I probably manage about half an hour even if it's only a 15 and three fives or a 20 and two fives or mm. a 20 and a 10 or a half hour one go but I try to get about half an hour a day in because I recognize how much I need that how much value that I get in terms of my my, my peace of mind but my ability to manage my state so just to ground yourself again yeah and yeah kind of balance everything out what do you think about the technology then? I'm, I believe I'm addicted. In fact, I don't believe I know I'm addicted to my phone just now. I'm craving it. There's a wee bit of self-seeking in there as well, David, where I'm getting a lot of attention, but I'm focusing a lot of my energy on it. I'm wasting value bubbles, I believe, to know really pushing the boat out and, and going another level mm -hmm. in my career. So what do you think of the technology and mobile phones just now? I, I think it, 
I, I love technology. Mm -hmm. I, I love the, the ability to be able to access information and to be able to communicate. See, I use the, I use social media, for example, to teach and to inspire. Mm -hmm. So I have a very positive experience of it. Yeah, everyone gets negative stuff, wee bits of abuse from time to time, which, you know. How do you deal with that? I, I just ignore it. Yeah. I never, I never engage. I don't just, give it your energy. I don't give my energy at all. I just engage, block. <laughs> See, I've still got a bit of ego where I go. Yeah. I'll, I'll 99% of the time I've, I've learned, mm. but sometimes I'll go, no, I'm not putting up with that. Nah, I just let it go. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, that's it's not worth more it. a reflection of them, but I see some people just fire off comments without really thinking, and it's not always a ref sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not really a reflection of the mm -hmm. people. Maybe someone's angry at the time about something and they're just venting on you. And if you take it personally, you're you're actually imagining the person to be something that maybe they're not actually. Some people probably are these kind of people, but a lot of people are just venting and I just I just don't bite. I just ignore it. You know, it's not worth my energy. I don't get it very often, to be yeah. really honest. What about for people? What books would you recommend for people, including a set, obviously your own, but other books that it's helped you along in your journey? Uh, the first book that really massively impacted me was Norman Vincent Peale's "The Power of Positive Thinking." Mm -hmm. That's what what guided me on the path. Another huge book for me was Anita Morjani's "Dying to Be Me." Another great one was Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Power of we, now. we talked about that yeah. offline. Um, See, I, I had to listen to his audiobook, man, but I felt it was putting me to sleep, but it took me about two months to listen mm. to it. It was yeah. just to have a wee ding, and then yeah. his, his voice, I just used yeah. to just knock me out. Have you met Eckhart? No, no. I know Anita, I know Anita quite well, Anita Marjani. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, actually, con the Conversations with God series, Neil Donald Walsh, that was good for me when I first left the pharmaceutical industry and mm. in helping me to get more and tap more in line with compassion and kindness. Wayne Dyer's books were great for that as well, his audios. So, so I've had a number of books, I'd say, that have impacted me uh, quite heavily. I'm reading one now called Lifespan by a Harvard professor called David Sinclair mm -hmm. that's all about how aging can be slowed and affected in, in different ways, uh, nutritionally, but through supplements and stuff. And So I, I find from time to time, books just grab me and I, and I keep my best books mm -hmm. i've got uh, in fact my best series is a very metaphysical series by a, a medium called jane roberts mm -hmm. you know the nature of personal reality seth speaks are you up. a medium no, no do you have the gift for that i think everybody's got the gift for I that i think everyone to, to an extent it's mm -hmm. something i haven't really explored yeah. i've explored wee bits of science i've done a few experiments yeah. with myself a mm -hmm. uh, you know not necessarily precognition but uh, sensing uh -huh. stuff and you know statistically on with me as the sample mm -hmm. size just me yeah. it, it seemed to be pretty powerful see i just think with the technology nowadays i think it'd be more evidence there to show that there is maybe entities or ghosts or spirits or even like ufos because it, when they show the, these footage footage I, I watch a lot of shit on netflix sometimes i'll get into the rabbit hole and i'll just i'll explore i always want yeah, for, for a human explore and learn yeah. it's always the same shit the repeat for the 70s 60s 80s I just think with the technology nowadays, I think there'll be more cutting images that, okay, there is something there. Because have you heard of the 21 grams when as soon as the body dies, the, the, as soon as the body I've, dies, I've heard as that, soon as you yeah. die, the body goes 21 grams lighter. But they say that's like an energy of the soul leaving the body, mm. which is weird. Which is, yeah, yeah. it's weird, the 21 grams, I think it's cool. Mm. So for yourself, moving forward for the future, David, what's the plans? What's the visions? It's writing more books and teaching and 
and doing more teaching online. You know, you're everywhere it. around the world, eh? Travel a lot. I, from time to time, I get little clusters. Like I, I was in uh, Paris for a conference a few weeks ago. It was the second time this year in France. I've been in Europe, Germany this year, as well Australia. It kind of comes and goes. Most of my teachings are in the UK, yeah. most of the general public, but of corporations I get hired with quite a lot because they're really big into the message of kindness because I, I teach how kindness is the opposite of stress. So rather than managing stress, I show them how to induce the exact opposite conditions in their mind and emotions mm -hmm. and, and physically. Uh, so to be a, just writing more books in my field, mind-body connection, kindness, that kind of stuff, I love doing it and I love, mm -hmm. you know, communicating. I love putting free content out in social media and I do online talks and stuff. And I, I, I think my thing is just to educate and inspire and I love... I love taking bits of science and simplifying them into a way that everyone can understand. Yeah. You know. So all the places you've been in the world, is there any place that stands out and you go, this is a real good place, people really know how to live life here and they're, they're happy? Or is everywhere kind of the same, just different everywhere, environments? I think everywhere's kind of different. I don't know if I would say any one place. I, I've had a really positive experience in Australia. I've taught there twice in the Gold Coast and it's a conference called mind heart connect they have that have it every two years and I, I found the australian people to be very similar to the people that i grew up around or certainly the people that were in that environment very similar to scottish people i don't know if that's a compliment to scotland <laughs> or australia but um, but i i found a lot of similarities i felt quite comfortable in australia i felt quite natural mm -hmm. You know, and they seem to understand my Scottish accent. Okay. Yeah. They say I read a book called Many Lives, Many Masters. Oh, Brian Weiss. Yeah. And um, they say if you feel happier, you, they've probably been there in a previous life. Yeah, yeah. And they say, yeah. they say also the problems and worries you've got in this life. If you don't sort them, you got you take them into the next life. Plus, they add something on. Is that mm. true? I, I, Not true, but it was in the book. Was that in the book? It was in the book. Here's an interesting. You know, I, I gave that example of. If, you know, we look physically separate than now, but if you could somehow have a, a a camera that could only see consciousness, you would see it focused here and focused there, uh, and you know, there'd be two lights, but these lights would be blending. As we communicate, the lights would be mixing and blending, and, mm -hmm. and some of my colours would be impacting yours, some of yours impacting me, and, and, and it's happening all the time. Every time you pass someone in the street, there's a blending and mixing yeah. of the energy. But uh, that energy these lights also go back and forward in time so you're also blending and connecting with a past previous even a, a version of yourself 10 minutes ago or a version mm -hmm. of your child self mm -hmm. but also a version of your your 91 year old self you're also blending and mixing we know from quantum mechanics when you get to the quantum level there is no time uh, and so all time is, is simultaneous so in many ways you are connected to that past self in terms yeah. of if you want to use the past life example and connected to your future selves so but i i don't see it exactly as you know if you don't resolve something now you'll carry it into another life because there are multiple possible futures and you're also connected to multiple possible future use mm -hmm. and i think when you do like a past life or a future life past life regression or a future life projection all you're what you're actually doing is you're resonating you're you're remembering that version of yourself that's most strongly connected with the space that you're in right now mm -hmm. because brian weiss found that if you changed something about if you process something right now 
then you actually change the future trajectory. In other words, if you were, your, let's say, a future life, mm -hmm. then you find yourself, you're remembering a different future. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, all of these futures exist. So there's multiple versions of you, not just yeah. one possible timeline, but, but multiple versions yeah. of James in the future. So when we do a, a regression or a projection into the future, we're really just resonating with a version of ourselves that's most closely related to where you're at right now. And if you, if you, you know, process something right now, then you'll find that there's that the version of yourself that you'll remember will be that that is more closely aligned with who you are or who you're becoming. Because when, if you ever think about someone, that's a head screw. Eh? Yeah, yeah, no, but that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. If you think about someone, then you either bump into them or they call you. Absolutely. Is that because you've got that connection through that connectedness? Because deja vu as well, where you feel as if you've been there. Yeah. It does say that. It's because everything is connected to everything so else. So what do you think we are then as human beings? It's a, a question that can be answered in millions of times, but for me, all different angles. But what do you think we are? I, I, to be really honest, I believe we are pure consciousness. Uh, having a, you may say a soul, having a human experience. So pure consciousness, uh, having an experience of being physical. And at this moment in time, a part of my consciousness is focused on this body and a part of your consciousness is focused on that body. But it does not mean that that is all that I am. And that's why I think when we end this, li when our, this lifetime expires, if you look at the accounts of people who've had near-death experiences, you just suddenly become part of the larger version of yourself. And that's why people have this massive sense of expansiveness, like I am the universe kind of thing, because that which you are is infinite in in space and time. So suddenly the focus removes from this small part of the body and your focus rejoins your very essence, which is infinite in time and space. So many people, Anita Murjani, Murjani in her book, Dying to Be Me, said her experience after leaving her body, after technically dying, it was that she experienced herself as pure consciousness, as I am. You couldn't say I am this or I am that because putting anything after I am just diminished the size of who she was and she experienced herself as infinite in time and space. And many people have had a similar kind of experience, but I think that's what you, we're all infinite in space and time, but we're also all connected in that deepest possible way and maybe we're all just part of the same energy that's expressing itself in a variety of different ways. Do you ways. think we've already got our blueprint when we're born? Are already, our purpose already here, or do you think we can change our path? I think both. Yeah. I, I think I, I see destiny and free will as you know, you're born into a river, a big wide river, and you have you're on a canoe and you have a paddle, and the paddle is your mind, mm -hmm. and you can paddle to the left or to the right, or do what many people do is keep paddling around in a wee circle repeating the same things. And, and in a sense, what you're doing is you're, that's, that's, you're using the law of attraction to attract what you want. But if you were to stop paddling, you'll realize that the river has a current and the current is the current, the pattern that you're born into. And if you were to do nothing, then you will find that the river will take you to certain destinations, to people, to circumstances and events. Sometimes you'll smack into a dirty great big rock because that was on your path. So there's, I believe there's a blueprint, not just genetically, but spiritually, you know, in terms of, of, of your actual essence and where the evolution of your, your spiritual self is going. So there's a genetic component in that. So I think there is a blueprint, but absolutely we can decide to paddle away and just say, okay, you know what, I feel that ahead of me, but I think I'm just going to 
mm. take a different path. So I think destiny and free will can intertwine. Yeah. And, and sometimes the most appropriate thing is to paddle. And other times the most appropriate thing is to let go. Mm -hmm. What go do you think um, of the pineal gland? Uh, I, I, they say I, this is a seat of the soul. They say this is yeah, what connects you I, I think some, some people believe that the pineal gland is a large concentration of, say, of when the consciousness is focused on the body, then a large concentration of it focuses on the pineal gland. So the pineal gland, I say, is in it. I think in the middle, or the bottom of the brain. Yeah, it used to actually be. It's not even in the brain. It's funny. It's in the brain, but it, it evolved from the roof of your mouth and the the, the roof of the mouth over millions of years went up. And it, so the pineal gland sits in a wee pocket that's actually not technically what's well, in the brain, but it's in one way it's technically not. It's it's just went up from the inside mm -hmm. I, th I think or I may be getting that wrong but I, I don't know much about the pineal yeah. gland other than the spiritual stuff that I had read in, in some books where that's they say that's a concentration of spiritual energy because I've said it before um... with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fluoride, I think because it's in toothpaste and some water, they say it kills the pineal gland. I've had dentists message mm. me because that's what in their textbook, mm. that's what they're for is fluoride and toothpaste and stuff. But the spiritual side of it, they say it is bad for you and it, it, yeah. it, it really harms you. Yeah, I haven't read that. Gland. To be honest, I haven't read that much about the pineal gland. They say it's the seat of the soul. They say that's what gives you the, your intuition. Yeah. Um, yeah, powerful stuff. So yeah. before we finish up, Anything you'd like to finish up on yourself or anybody that's in the struggle or anybody that's wanting to change? I, I would say, do you know, the most powerful, call this a spiritual practice I've ever known, outside of meditation, is to be kind. And I'm not just referring to doing random acts of kindness, helping, you know, someone with their shopping or making someone a cup of tea. Absolutely do that. It's very important. But what I'm, I'm really meaning by being kind is let that be your attitude. So try to be kind in how you think about people and your attitude towards people. And, you know, being patient with people, cutting people a wee bit of slack, having compassion for people. So in your, in your mind first and then how you communicate with people and then how you interact with people. And that's benefiting people, obviously. But as a spiritual practice, what I found is it brings you home to yourself and I found of all the spiritual practices it's the one that fills me with warmth and I, I know that when I'm filled with warmth I feel huge I feel expanded and many people talk about seeking enlightenment and we go in search of all these things and we we practice umpteen trillions of hours of meditation but the strongest practice I've ever found is any practice that aligns me with the thoughts and feelings of being kind so 
whether I meditate on kindness or for me, it's just about thinking kindly and nicely about people and trying to be kind in how I think, how I speak, how I communicate and how I do it. And it really brings me home to myself. And I do feel that warmth, that sense of warmth and expansiveness and clarity of mind and just kind of knowing the right thing to do because you're acting out of love and not fear. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to do a wee practice to think about it. You're already there. And I find it brings me home to that warmth space uh, so quickly. And all I actually have to do is think some nice about someone. It doesn't even have to be anyone I know. It could just be thinking nice about somebody that passed in the street. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. For someone who's maybe depressed or negative all the time and maybe been on that spiral, downward spiral for maybe 10, 20 years, for them then to try and think like that and do that it's difficult but if you do it consistently it's consistency you will eventually change it but it can be done it can be done there's plenty of people out there plenty of scientific studies that it can be done David so for coming on today brother and telling your story it's very much appreciated check out um, David's books on Amazon Waterstones really anywhere that books are sold Uh, the documentary Heal on Netflix I definitely definitely watch that but Tell me your story, brother. I appreciate it. All the best for the future. Thanks a lot. It's Thank been you. my pleasure. It's been great Namaste. today. Namaste. Namaste, <laughs> yeah. You can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel. The link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe. You can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is. Follow me on Facebook at James English 11 Twitter, James English 0 Instagram, James English 2 You can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Podcast Network.